The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to be back. I had a great trip, a great hunt. Um, it was absolutely, it was, it was the best hunt of my life. So uh, with that being said, I will be going back. Amen. It was awesome. Uh, and so I had a great time. Appreciate uh, uh, the staff and, and you guys letting me go on that trip and enjoy a little bit of, of a time of re- relaxation. If you have your Bibles, turn to Obadiah. Um, if you don't know where Obadiah is, go to the New Testament, Matthew, and then just start going backwards until you hit Obadiah. But it's real short, so be careful. Don't do any two pages at a time or you'll miss it. Um, let me give you an update a little bit about our building situation. First of all, let me say to you that I'm extremely encouraged by your faithfulness to give to the project and just to give um, to the church faithfully. We're, we're doing outstanding in our giving, and that's encouraging to me as, as a pastor that you entrust um, your, your resources that the Lord has blessed you with uh, to our stewardship for what the Lord has called us to do. And so we're in this, this phase of um, getting ready for this, this, this structure outside that's really going to change who we are. And so there's been a little bit of a delay, and let me tell you why, is that as we went through the process of bidding out from the, the bid set, it, the, the price was higher. And so I met with the um, advisors, and we wanted to be absolutely sure before we bring it back to the church that the number is good and solid. Um, one of our board members said, look, what we don't want to do is go back and tell the church that it's going to be more, and then have to go back and tell the church it's going to be more than the more. And I thought that was good wisdom, and I thank the Lord for that. And so we have hired a general contractor uh, to do the estimating, a professional estimate to take the actual bid set and nail down the numbers. And he's supposed to have that ready the week of October 5th, and then we will immediately roll out a meeting. We'll bring that to you and decide um, if we're going to be able to do the entire thing, if you guys want to do the whole thing, or if we're only able to do the east side. And, and so I want to just to give you a little bit of an update of what's going on. We're excited. We're looking forward to it. Those of you who are new, we'd invite you to be a part of that. We can tell you how to do that um, probably when we, when we get to that meeting. But people have been giving for the last year, and we've been able to raise quite a bit of money uh, to go toward this project. And we believe it's going to be a game changer for us as we um, uh, begin to tell the story to the community of what's happening on the inside of this church uh, a lot of people don't know where we even are as a body of believers, and so it's really going to transform our presence in the community. So I uh, just want to give a quick update. Thank you for your faithfulness. There's your update. Now let's jump into the book of Obadiah. Now, again, Obadiah is a minor prophet when it comes to length. There are 12 minor prophets. They're the last 12 books of your Bible, and uh, they're known as the writing prophets, And they write up until the time we end up, uh, when we get to the end of the Old Testament, we enter what is called the interbiblical period. And it's a time of uh, 400 years where God is silent. He doesn't raise up a prophet. And so these prophets prophesy a lot about the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. uh, And they are kind of obscure. You don't hear a lot about them. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty confident that probably the first time you ever heard a sermon from the book of Nahum was last week right? It's not your go-to book. And uh, so Obadiah is very similar. But these guys, man, they have, uh, though it's a minor uh, book in length, it has a major message. And I I shared with you uh, before I left uh, that it is a prophecy 
regarding Edom's fall from power due to their sin of pride. Now, who is Edom? Edom, the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Who is Esau? Esau is Jacob's brother. Who is Jacob? Jacob was Isaac's son. Who is Isaac? Isaac was Abraham's son who was promised that he would be a father of many nations. So in the womb, even, Jacob and Esau struggled, okay? They struggled even in the womb, the Scripture scripture teaches us. And then they struggled after they uh, were born. All of their lives, they sort of battled. And God put his hand and said that, uh, that the blessing would come through Jacob, not through Esau. And so Esau was still blessed of God. Um, he was very profitable. Um, and even the Edomites had been. And so these are two brother nations, if you will, when we think in terms of Judah and, and Israel and the Edomites. And so they were related to one another. And we learned in week one that they trusted, the Edomites started to trust in their natural defenses. They were, uh, lived in a very secure uh, place, the, the way it was laid out geographically and where their, their city was. They were protected because you could only enter it through a very narrow gap, um, about 12 feet wide. And so a couple of guys could fend off an entire army because it was hard to penetrate the, their, where they lived. And they began to trust in that. They began to trust in what they could see instead of what they could not see, the God who created those rocks that they lived in. They began to trust in their allies, the relationships that they had with the people around them. So the friendships that they had, and they, their networking, if you will, in modern day times was more important than their connection with God. And that's what people do today. They often will compromise their convictions and make decisions based upon how it will impact their network instead of thinking about God ultimately owns the network. Like, he is the one that we need to be concerned about. Well, the Edomites lost sight of that, and they were focused and trusting in their alliances uh, with the people around them, and uh, then we know that they also relied on their own human wisdom. They were a wise group of people. Um, one of the Edomites is Job. We read the book of Job. One of his friends was, was uh, uh, an Edomite, and so they were a, a, a group of people that had a reputation for being very solid in the way that they thought through things. But they trusted in their human wisdom above the wisdom of God. And so they had developed this prideful sense about them. And Obadiah, in the first section of his book, he teaches us that um, he, he proclaims to them that they would fall. And as we look into the second part of the book, we learn that um, he tells them judgment is coming, and the reason that it is coming is because they had a lack of brotherhood. Like they didn't have brotherly love the way that they should have had brotherly love. And so after dealing with the pride, Obadiah now establishes the proof of the pride. And the proof of the the pride that lived inside of these people was how they treated their brothers when their brothers uh, fell into a disastrous situation. And so Edom's sin was unbrotherliness. Okay? Now, This was serious enough to God that the Edomites were wiped out. They no longer were a nation. And in the coming years after this prophecy, it happened. And we still don't have the Edomites as a nation. And what that tells us when it comes to brotherly love, it is extremely important. 
And when we sin and we err when it comes to brotherly love, first and foremost in our own families, the scripture teaches us that if um, we don't take care of our own families, we're worse than unbelievers. We ought to know to take care of our families. But we also ought to know to take care of our spiritual family. So anybody who's inside of the kingdom, we are to have brotherly love toward. And so Edom's sin was serious in God's eyes. Now what does unbrotherliness mean? It means acting toward my family in a way I should not, okay? So acting toward my immediate family, my blood family, and my spiritual family in a way that I should not act. Now, what that means is is that we are to love and defend spiritual family no matter what they do to us. Okay, let me repeat that for emphasis. We are to love and defend our spiritual family and our blood family no matter what they do to us. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, that's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if you know about it. It's the the way it is. You say, well, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right that you're supposed to love your enemies either, but Jesus said you're supposed to. He said he's going to make you into the kind of person that can love like he does. And that's when transformation impacts your life, you are able to do that. And so um, when we become the kind of people who delight in the misfortune of people that are in our families, it is the worst form of unbrotherliness. So when we have a brother that possibly has done something to us that we know that was not right, and we see them, something bad happened to them, and we delight in that, that is the worst form of unbrotherliness that we could have. And so it's kind of like, whoa, man, I need to be thinking about how I'm treating the people around us or around me. And so Obadiah teaches us the progression of this sin. When we get to verse 10 through 14, we begin to see how this sin progressed among the Edomites. And we, we can see that this can start with two men, as it did in this case, and it can end up with two families and go to two cities and two nations. Or it can even go to two parties. Amen? Like, there's no brotherliness uh, between the two-party system that exists in in our country today. It's awful. Like, and there are people on both sides who claim to know the king, but they hate each other. I'm like, what is going on? This is not the way that it's supposed to work. And so, like, we we see how this thing can progress, and it can cause such extreme uh, division among people. And so, let's pick up in Obadiah chapter 10, and I'll share uh, some some real quick things. I I, I, I fear saying this because every time I say it, I go real long, but I think you're going to get out early today, but we'll see. Amen. <laughs> you shut up. <laughs> oh, man. Shabo. Okay, let's see. Here we go. Uh, Obadiah chapter, well, verse 10. There's only one chapter. Because of the violence against, against your brother, Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast 
so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. Okay, so we see in these few verses, I'm gonna give you four different things that we need to avoid and we need to make sure that we're not doing when it comes to our brothers, when it comes to um, uh, your, like, what do we mean when we say brothers? I think we should, we should, as the people of God, we should not even excuse ourselves for those who are not brothers in the kingdom. Like, the, that whenever people, like, we always have to be the kind of people who trust in the God who cannot, we cannot see to take vengeance for us and never to take things in our own hands. And so we need to just be these kind of people, regardless of, of whether we're looking at people who are inside the kingdom or outside of the kingdom. We must constantly be the kind of people uh, that, that are reflecting the character of Christ. And if we do that, it becomes contagious and people see us functioning in the world in a different way and it's compelling and it draws people in. And so the first thing that we see um, that, that Obadiah says that they're guilty of is don't stand aloof when someone stumbles. Like don't stand aloof when someone stumbles. Now aloof, this word here in the Hebrew is the word neged. And it means on the other side or away from. And often when someone we know stumbles, especially in the kingdom, they fall, we stand away. We stand away. We, we stand away from them. We're disappointed in what happened, especially if this person has any kind of uh, uh, leadership within the kingdom. They may be a pastor. They may be a youth pastor, some sort of a leader, whatever, and we, we see them stumble and fall. We stand away. And this is what the Edomites were judged for, is standing away when their brothers were going through a disaster. And so it's, it's easy for us to do, uh, to stand away uh, fr from, from people who stumble. And Obadiah teaches us that you are your brother's keeper. Okay? Remember Cain and Abel. Um, when when, when uh, Cain was upset with Abel, he says to God, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are your brother's keeper. And so what we have to be is the kind of people that when we see someone stumble, we draw near to them. Now, there's a story of um, Jim Baker in 1987. Probably most of you are too young to remember that. Some of you uh, certainly maybe too old to remember it. <laughs> so anyway, but you remember Jim Baker, this uh, televangelist, built the PTL network, Okay. $129 million ministry. And in 1987, it came crashing down. There was scandal involved. Uh, I remember at the time I was 17 years old. Um, and, 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 and it was like, the, the, like people were so down on him. Um, and, and there was, you know, there was just all kinds of crazy stuff going on within this fall. And he ended up going to prison. And so in prison, you know, when you, when you are a person of, of prominence in the kingdom like that, and I, you know, I say prominence, there's really no other way. You, when you've been elevated to lead like that in the kingdom, and it all comes crashing down, 
That's a very lonely place. And here's a guy who is very famous, famous across the entire world. It all comes crashing down, and he's now in prison. He's cleaning toilets, okay? There's no doubt that there are tons of people who feel betrayed by him, okay, and, 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 and are feeling like he got exactly what, deserve, what he deserved. And here he is all alone in prison, and he's cleaning toilets, and he gets a visitor one day. You know who it was? Billy Graham, okay? Billy, and he says that that, was, that, that totally, he, he needed love in, in that moment like nothing else. You can, you can hear the, read about the story. And Billy Graham came to minister to him in prison. And so that teaches us that when a brother falls, we're, we're sort of as people, it's, we don't know what to do. And we're frightened and, and we don't know what to say. We don't, we don't know how to, like we don't, we're, we're hurt, we're confused. All of these different emotions are going on inside of us. And the scripture teaches us is that what we should do in a moment that a brother is in that place or a sister is in that place is we draw near to them. And we draw near to them and we don't try to fix them. We don't try to tell them, um, you know, everything's going to be okay. Or we just love them. We just draw near and let them know that they are loved because they are feeling so unloved by, uh, right now by everything that's going on around them. It's fascinating that when, when, when this happens inside the kingdom, uh, that the enemy can use it to bring about an even greater division whenever we are the people of God who should understand forgiveness better than anyone else and we ought to be able to draw uh, near to one another. And so when you hear of someone's sin um, and, and, and you hear that they've fallen, don't say, uh, this, this is not my business. If it's your brother, it's your business. If it's your sister, it's your business. So that's the first takeaway. Here's the second one. Don't gloat on the day of someone's disaster. So don't, don't stand away from them and don't gloat. Now, this sounds um, very similar to the, to the other one, but the, the word that the English uses here, uh, gloat, is for the word in the original is tere, okay? And this is what it means, to spy, to look at, to examine, to inspect, okay? While it is easy for us to stand away when someone stumbles, it is also hard for us not to want the details of the disaster. We want to we get in there. Well, what happened? And we might call somebody else. Did you hear? Do you know exactly what happened? I was so surprised. I just think we should pray for them. What should we pray for? <laughs> you know? Sometimes prayer, prayer things can turn into gossip sessions. And so we don't want to be the kind of people when someone stumbles that we are gloating or looking into and examining all of what's going on in the midst of it. The, the Edomites wanted to stand aloof as far as help was concerned, but they decided to dig into the gory details of the situation. And so when you hear of someone's sin and desire the details and don't desire to help, what you need to do is repent because you are sinning in that moment. Even in the moment when you have the desire and you're like, I want to know, I want to know, you need to check yourself. And go, man, Lord, look at me. Look at the wickedness within my heart that I even desire to know this. I'm not thinking about the hurt and the pain of the brother. I'm thinking about I want to know what happens. 
And so that's unbrotherliness. And so we need to, we need to repent in those moments and ask the Lord to forgive us. And, and the, the Edomites did not. And so I'm reminded of Galatians 6.1. It teaches us that when someone sins, and, and I'm going I'm to get into this a little bit more in a, in a bit, we are to restore them gently. That's what we're supposed to do when, when we find out that someone is, has walked in sin. And so don't dig into someone else's stuff. What you do is die for them instead. You die to yourself, and when you don't feel like, you're like, I don't know what to say. I feel uncomfortable calling them. You die to yourself, and you call them. You die to yourself, and you go see them. You die to yourself, and you tell them that you love them. You encourage them. You do everything that you can to help a brother who's fallen because that's the kind of people we're supposed to be. Here's the third takeaway. Don't rejoice on the day of someone's destruction. So don't gloat, and then don't rejoice on the day of someone's destruction. When hostility is present between two people, okay, this is when this becomes hard. And if you're in ministry, bro, let me tell you something, uh, you will have people that do things to you that is unjust, and it will happen frequently. And they will say things about you. They will attack you. They will try to get people to turn against you. I've had it happen to me so many times over the last, I don't even know how many years, but it's been a long time, okay? It's happened to me a lot. And, 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 and when that happens, man, you, you just want to, well, one of the things you want to do is you want to just go over to their house, knock on the door, and when they answer, you just punch them right in the face. That's what you really want to do. And you got to check yourself. You got to, man, man what am, why am I thinking this? That what, what, and you have to get yourself to a place where, where you are, have empathy for them and you pray that, that they might see where they've gone wrong instead of just wanting them to hurt. And so you don't, you don't rejoice if something does happen to them. And I think that sometimes, many times, people in the kingdom, they would be people that whenever somebody wrongs them, and then they go their separate ways, and five years down the road, that person has something bad happen to them, serves them right. <laughs> they had it coming. That's what the scripture is telling us not to do. We don't, we're, we're not those kind of people. What we should do instead is we should mourn and thank God that we have been spared from a tragedy like they're experienced, experiencing, even though we're just as sinful as they are. There's none sinful, no, not one. Jesus is the only perfect man. And so we're always going to fall short, no matter how well we do and no matter how committed we are, we're always going to fall short of what Jesus accomplished, who he was. And, 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 and so we always have to be reminded, even when we see somebody that possibly we've been in conflict with suffer, that we don't want to rejoice. And so we look at these three things, and they're very dangerous. And they're dangerous because up to this point, the sin is all about attitude. Okay, but here we see the progression of what happens. And attitudes always impacts your action. Whatever your attitude is towards something, it will impact your action. Okay, so like if your attitude um, uh, toward like your weight is good and healthy, it will impact your action that you will do a right turn into the sanctuary and not a left at the donuts, Right? And so you have to, if your attitude toward the donuts is, thank God there were no cream-filled donuts today. I'm so thankful because I was about to just tear into one. But my attitude needs to be, I don't need no donut, okay? If I seem a little uptight today, it's because these pants are too tight, right? And so, like, I, 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 our attitudes are always impacting what we do. 
And so that's why these first three things are so dangerous because when we get to the fourth thing, here's what we see. Don't deliver someone over to the enemy, okay? What we learn is it says, you should not, verse 13 says, you should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster. What does that mean? It means another enemy wiped them out and after they were gone, the Edomites went down and started looting and started taking things. And, and, and uh, then they started their gloating and so on and so forth. And then it says in uh, verse 14 that they waited. Um, they cut down and they delivered over. So they waited, they cut down. They found some more fugitives that the people didn't get. They captured them and they delivered them over to the people who took them. Okay? And so they delivered someone over to the enemy. If we don't intentionally reach out to our family when they're going through crisis, especially when they've stumbled, we end up devouring them. The church is one of the few places where a person um, can spend their life investing into the kingdom, and then in a moment of temptation, they can blow it, and the people they've invested to are the people that eat them. And that's, man, that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking like to the kingdom. That's heartbreaking to the, to the Lord himself. And we need to be the kind of people that come around people when failure happens in their lives. We come around them, we nurture them, and we encourage them. Certainly there are consequences. It doesn't mean that, that consequences don't happen in the person's lives. There are always consequences for sin. A person reads what they sow, and we see a form of that here in a moment that comes from Obadiah. But, but my point is that we don't, we don't need to be the ones that make them reap. Like we need to be responsible and, and we need to realize that people are gonna go through um, uh, the consequences and they're gonna suffer, but they don't have to suffer without us. They can suffer with us. And I'm reminded that we're told to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and, and, and we, 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 we bear one another's burdens. We come alongside of each other. And so our duty, duty to spiritual family is to build those who have fallen up, okay? And so a lot of times people, even as they're coming into the kingdom and they're trying to figure out, man, I, I don't feel worthy, we gotta build them up. You, and we gotta teach them you're not worthy, that's what the gospel's all about, is you're not worthy and the Lord still wants to use you in the midst of, uh, of, of, of your circumstances and he will raise you up as you humble yourself before him. And so again, just picking into, digging into Galatians chapter six, look at verses one through three. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Isn't it fascinating how Paul writes about this and it has to do with pride? Just like the Edomites, they thought they were something when they were not, and the Lord dealt with them. And so that is truth that we can live by as we're constantly looking at, at someone when they go through a day of disaster, we're looking how to live this out. How do, I, how do I actually live this out when I see a brother fall? You know, what we, you know what probably most of the time we do? Well, that's too bad. I hate to hear that. I'm gonna pray for them. Like I would say, I think um, we could look to Billy Graham and we could say in this case of how he reached out to this evangelist who fell and fell hard and fell publicly. 
follow Billy as he followed Christ. Like when you see somebody fall, don't like do something. When, when you see somebody hurting, reach out, engage. Don't just be disappointed. Do all that you can just to let them know that you love them and, and you care for them. It is a big deal. And we look at uh, Obadiah cha- uh, verse 15, and this is what he says. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. This is very serious stuff, and it brings us to the big idea today. Be your brother's keeper. Like, be your brother's keeper. There was a day when two kings confronted each other in history. Um, the first king's name was King um, uh, Herod Antipas, and he was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the king in the New Testament who, when the wise men told him that uh, they saw a sign and a great king was coming, he sent them to go find out, and they didn't come and report to him, and he ends up um, executing all the two-year-old children that were born around that time so that he could make sure all the male children were gone because he was trying to protect his kingdom. His son, um, Herod Antipas, learned from his father's uh, lifestyle. And his motto in life, as he was making decisions, is what does it profit me? And one day he collided with the second king. And the second king was Jesus. Jesus is the one who taught the parable, what does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses his soul? And Jesus' motto was, How can I profit my people? And so as he looked at all of the sinful people in the world and being God in the flesh was able even to look thousands of years into the future and see us, he was asking the question, how can I profit my people? And this is what drove him to the cross, and he died a cruel, horrendous death. And we know the story that three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was God. And he made a promise that he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was to help us to be brotherly. And so the the challenge is be like Jesus. Be like Jesus when you post. post. Don't post hateful stuff. I don't care if you're on the right or left. Don't pay for hateful stuff. Like you're, you're a citizen of the kingdom. Be like Jesus. Don't post controversial stuff. And you're going to be tempted, man. When you see somebody that says something, you just want to tell them how the cow eats the cabbage. And you know how the cow eats the cabbage. You got to take a breath and go, it's not brotherly. What they're doing is not brotherly, and if I jump in there, it's not going to be brotherly. It's going to do absolutely no good. And just take a breath and hit the pause button and be like Jesus. Be your brother's keeper. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word. We thank you that you are our keeper. And as we look out at the world and see how divided it is, help us to be the kind of people that are like you, that help it heal and bring it together. Help us to be keepers of our brothers and sisters. Help us to look around those close to us and even those who um, mean ill for us 
Help us, Lord, to love them as you love them. And help us to see people as you see them. We pray for our country today, Lord. We pray for its healing. We pray for unity. And Lord, ultimately, we pray for revival. And may that revival, Lord, as we pray for it, may we be the kind of people that are living in such a way that the revival can flow through us, that we are brotherly, that we are the sparks that ignite it, that we are behaving in society in such a way that it compels people to ask questions about the hope that we have within us. I pray for our young people. I pray, Father, for uh, our, our, our leaders across the world. And I just pray that you would move as only you can. And I pray, Lord, even as we close the service out today and with worship, that we would be reminded of truth um, and that we would advance that truth with every step that we take. We pray for your blessing upon the offering, and we ask all these things in the wonderful, precious, holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.